say mirrors are pretty valuable to us. Have you ever been to the, do um, you like what you see, by the way? Oh, yeah. Were you here for a service or something? <laughs> mirrors are pretty valuable to us. You ever been to the carnival or a zoo or something like that where they have special mirrors and you just started a, a diet the day before and you walk in and you're going, wow, it looks like I lost 30 pounds. Mirror's lying to you. Or you walk in and it makes you look really short, really wide, really chubby, whatever, right? Mirrors are pretty important. Old Testament, you know, from 1 Corinthians, us looking at that, that sometimes you look at the shiny metal and you try and get a good glimpse of what you saw and do something about it. I think we use mirrors for all sorts. Sometimes I've heard of interior designers using mirrors to kind of give the facade of your room being bigger. If you place them in the right area, it looks like you got a bit more room when you're dealing with a small space. I'm kind of in charge, don't tell my wife, but I'm kind of in charge somewhat my chore is cleaning the bathrooms. I don't know how that happened. So when I do clean them, I know that there's special rags that you use and all that stuff. Use the pink one and then the blue one to buff it and all that stuff. But it's interesting if I try and take a shortcut, later on I come back and I can totally see the streaks that I, shoot, I didn't use the blue one. And same when you walk into a restaurant or you're walking to, you can kind of sometimes check, it says a lot about the cleanliness, blah, 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 right, of a place and all that stuff. But also when we look at a mirror, I'm hoping that you see something and you do something about it. I remember, I, I think I told you a story a while ago, is uh, uh, Irvin Vogt grew up in this, or, or was a dad in the small town of about 300 that I grew up in. And he, he had funny kids, like really funny kids. And he fell asleep on the couch, which he did many days. And uh, he was a staple, though, at the only coffee shop we had in town. So he fell asleep, and Stuart was home that day. He's the youngest, about my age, very young. And he was just listening to his dad snore, so finally he went and got a marker, and he just sat there, and every time his dad went, he put a dot on his face. So he was an avid snorer, so every snore, dot, dot, dot. Well, Irvin made the mistake that day of not looking in the mirror when he woke up and going straight to the corner store for coffee. You can imagine what everybody saw. He did not look in the mirror. And I also remember there's times where, especially as a teenager, this becomes like so important to you. This is more, this is more valuable than cash. This is more valuable than cars, everything. You got to look in there, do something about what you see. One time I went into our bathroom and we had a fan, overhead fan. That was the loudest fan you've ever heard. It's like living by the airport. I went in and I stood behind the, the shower curtain because I knew my brother Sam was entering the bathroom. He was kind of the young adult, late teens. And he had opened the door, turned on the... And I snuck in behind the shower curtain, and I just was silent. Well, he came in, and then the first thing that you do, right, you kind of look, and you admire yourself, and all of a sudden realize, ooh, there's a couple things there, perhaps, you know, what's going on? And all I did was I just stepped out. That's all I did. Wow. Ah! Like his... He yelled so loud, his eyes were like this, and all he said to me was, you're lucky I recognize you because I would have killed you. And I believe him. And that's a Mennonite talking. Right? They're not supposed to hurt people, but he would have hurt me. So mirrors are so important. So I'm looking and I'm talking about mirrors because it's springtime. Spring is coming in March 20th, I believe it is. So we get all concerned about our lawns. We get all concerned about uh, switching up our winter clothes with our summer clothes. 
with our gardens, all sorts of stuff. So we spend a lot of time doing this stuff. But how much time do we honestly take at looking in the mirror of our spiritual lives? Do we sit there sometimes and just silence ourselves, slow down the mind, slow down the heart, and start taking inventory of some dusting that needs to take place, some stuff that's got to go, some weeding that needs to happen in order to have a successful summer? So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, starting at verse 19 to 25. James chapter 1. I've called this springboard. Hopefully, we'll springboard into uh, some good action this next couple of weeks as we do some spring cleaning. James 1 says this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid Get rid of all the moral filth, the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what it looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what we have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in whatever they do. Somebody says, wherever wisdom is the goal, hearing will be the first virtue. Wherever wisdom is the goal, hearing will be our first virtue. Do you think that's natural? I think how I'm wired... I probably would change that. I'd say, wherever wisdom is the goal, I better let everybody know my opinion. But no, wherever wisdom is the goal, hearing will be the first virtue. You've heard this. This is an old story, but it's a funny one. Uh, July 2nd, 82, Larry Walters, 33-year-old man. What he does is he, uh, he decides that he wants to see the neighborhood from a new perspective. So what he does is he goes down to the local army surplus store and he bought 45 used weather balloons. In the afternoon, he strapped it to his lawn chair, got his buddy to, buddies to fill it up with helium-filled balloons, and then he went and got a six-pack of beer and a peanut butter jelly sandwich, all the food items that he needs, right, and a BB gun, figuring he could shoot the balloons one at a time when he was ready to land. That makes a lot of sense. So Walters, who assumed the balloons would lift him about 100 feet in the air, was caught off guard when his chair soared more than 15,000 feet in the sky on a lawn chair. Smack dab in the middle of air traffic pattern of Long Beach Airport. Way too frightened, can you imagine? Way too frightened to shoot any of his balloons. (laughs) He stayed airborne for more than two hours, forcing the airport to shut down for hours that afternoon, causing many delays of flights across the country. So soon after... After the police were done with him, reporters asked him three questions, some of them pretty obvious. Were you scared? Yeah. Uh, Would you do it again? No. Why did you do it? And it's hilarious. He says, because. You can't just sit there. (laughs) Did you hear that? Like, seriously, this is a scary man, right? 
Why did he do it? You just can't sit there. But what if we look at our passage of scripture today and as we learn to, to listen, as we learn to hear, as we learn to keep quiet, as we learn to get rid of all sorts of moral filth, as we learn to obey, maybe he's onto something. He can't just sit there. He can't just sit there. So let's pull some weeds this morning. Heavenly Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would empower us to listen and to get out of the Help me not to stand in the way. I pray that the word of God would be powerful and active and sharp, that we can look in our own lives and kind of like this Walters guy, we're ready to do something. We're not going to sit around. We're not going to just warm the pew or warm the bench. Father, we want strong marriages. We want great relationships. We want people to hear from our mouths, but also see from how we walk that there's something different about us. Father, we ask and we invite you into our presence this morning and ask that our our hearts are ready to meet you and ready to step out in obedience and submission to you. So help us to take a good look in the mirror this morning and be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. James 2 says, faith without works is dead. Now, you got to remember that uh, James is one of those books. It's one of my favorites, actually, since I was a teenager. But sometimes when you put it alongside some of Paul's works, you just go, what? Does this even belong in the Bible? Because you go to Paul, and he's hardcore. He's got lots of great doctrine. He's got lots of great theology. And then you come to James, and he's just so, like, get her done. So it's kind of like we had a conference here just... uh, two weeks ago, and one day, one guy was up here giving us a ton of theory of coaching and of leadership. The next day, Randy Wolf came in and really made it very practical for us. How do we do this kinds of stuff that we heard about yesterday? And that's kind of James. He probably read Paul's stuff, I don't know, but he sees it, he knows it, and then he says, now that you know all this great stuff, don't just sit there. Do something about it. Do something about it. So today, along with other people that have used this outline, I want to do five things. Be quick to listen slow to speak, slow to anger. I want us to be quick to get rid of dot, 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 and be quick to ask. Now, there's somebody that lives in my house that many times I've had to say, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. God knew what he was doing. So (laughs) I've used that, and I'm sure you've heard it before, and it's definitely been used of me. Two ears and one mouth. My brothers, take note of this. Everybody should be quick to listen. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to become angry. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Be quick to listen. Obviously, you know, sitting here in church, the Sunday school answer would be, be quick to listen as you look in the mirror. One of the mirrors that we have is the Word of God. We can spend time and be quick to listen as we take some time out and think, what does this mean? And then, what does it mean to me? As we submit ourselves to the Word of God and look closely at it, there's some things in there that can affect your marriage, that can change the way you treat people can change the way you think about yourself, or more importantly, your perception of what God thinks about you. 
Be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. He gives a characteristic here is some of these folks, they just don't look deeply. They take a quick glance at the mirror and then they move on. And others were, they'd look at it and they go, oh, oh, and then they'd walk away and forget what they look like and don't do anything about it. And others, they just didn't do anything about it. They may have looked for a while and then whatever and walk away. And he's kind of addressing all of these people, some that just take a quick glance, don't, and then others that forget what they see, shoot, what was I supposed to do again? And then others that see changes that need to be done and have no obedience or no action steps to do what they've seen in the mirror. We've got to be quick to listen. Quick to listen. And secondly, to be slow to speak. Years ago, I was lucky enough to be part of a ministry uh, to a camp, Fisher Bay Bible Camp, and it was off the edge of three different native reserves that all had their different kind of characteristics. It was fantastic. And smack dab in the middle was Dallas, uh, just north of Winnipeg. And Dallas was kind of a church plant, so you had some Aboriginal people and some white folk and all that stuff. And we were lucky enough to have this really neat meeting with an elder of the church who happened to be um, Aboriginal. So one of the things in his calm, quiet, stalwart way, he says, white people like to talk a lot. And I was a kid, you know, I was whatever, 20 years old, and that stuck with me. And I think he's right. We like to talk a lot. But are we quick to listen? Are we quick to listen? Are we characterized by listening? My brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Proverbs 10 says, When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. 32 of Proverbs 10, the lips of the righteous know what is fitting, but the mouth of the wicked only what is perverse. 11.12, a man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his tongue. So it appears that that little piece of flesh that is hidden most of the time inside your mouth Wow, that thing's powerful. Out of all the things that he could talk about, out of all the muscles, the body parts that we do see, it's that little one that's hidden most of the time that obviously is a part of many, many of the quarrels that you have among you, many of the times the arguments in your marriage, many of the times the estrangement in a relationship with your son or daughter, or gets you in trouble at work. It's that little thing jammed in your mouth. It's so powerful. And James talks more about, he says, many of you shouldn't be teachers, my fellow brothers. Be careful because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble. We all stumble. All of us stumble in many ways. And anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Think about that. A 1,500, 1,800, 2,000-pound beast. You put a bit in the mouth and you sway the whole animal. Unbelievable. Or take a ship as an example. Although they're large, driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider that a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. 
a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise the Lord. And with it, we get in an argument with our wife on the way home from church or on the way to church. My brothers and sisters, this should not be praise and cursing from the same mouth. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt and spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, quote unquote, does not come from heaven, but is earthly. I can live with that. Did you hear that? This kind of wisdom, that's earthly. Okay, I understand that. But then he meddles. He says, and it's unspiritual. James, seriously. And then says, demonic. Wow, that's powerful stuff. Let me read that again. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the, he- the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Incredible piece of scripture that describes to the T the power we have of the tongue. Ephesians says, do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Imagine if you're both as... And then you realize, actually what was coming out of my mouth wasn't going to build up my neighbor. Or you're in a small group and you're about to blast uh, the Pastor Ken. Let's use him. Yeah. You hear what he said in the sermon on Sunday? Can you... Have you talked to Pastor Ken about it? Or something's really bothering you? In fact, somebody told me one time and it was very convicting because when you have a kid that isn't walking with Christ or maybe you have a spouse that... Uh, is pulling away, I don't know, but it's easy then to even couch it in prayer and kind of diss or put down that person. And I said one time, uh, something like this to another pastor, you know, we've got to be wa- careful that we don't talk about our kid that way or that we don't talk about our spouse. He says, yeah, or what if they do catch us talking about them? You know, let's say my kid walks in and he sneaks up to me and he hears me talking about him but I'm talking about all the cool things I love about them. Imagine how powerful that would be. But how many times if somebody would sneak into the room, they would actually hear us bellyaching or unwholesome talk about each other. And this shouldn't be. This is freshwater, saltwater stuff. What are we saying? Be slow to speak. I've heard this all these years. Maybe there's a reason why I've heard it. Remain silent and be thought a fool instead of opening your mouth and removing all doubt. 
<laughs> Am I the only one that's heard that? Gee, thanks, Mom. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. When I hear somebody say, it's a righteous anger, brother, that gives me the eebie-jeebies. I don't know how many times you or I have displayed righteous anger. Let's be honest. I think there's probably some times, but my ego, my fat head gets messed in with this anger, and sometimes I might be angry about a good thing, and, but then I come across and I hurt somebody while trying to get this truth across. So I'm passionate about truth, and I'll step on everybody to get that good, solid doctrine in there. That doesn't make sense either. So we sin against somebody to prove that they're sinning. Does it make sense? So your approach sometimes is sinful. So there's one time I was on the beach. I think this is the closest I've got to righteous anger. And I was getting something from this creepy corner store and I was just paying for it. And then three teenagers walk in and they're kind of, trying to goose their necks a little bit because on the magazine rack, you could see where the unwholesome ones are, the, the pornography, the garbage magazines, right? And they're kind of walking, pretending like they're doing something else, but you could always see their neck kind of curl over. And uh, I was standing there buying something, a little bit annoyed. And then a guy walks in, he's about 20. Hey, guys, how's it going? Oh, good. Yeah. And they're kind of now, they have a comrade in the whole thing. And they chat a little bit about these unwholesome pictures that they want to watch or want to see. He says, oh, cool. You want me to buy you one of those? Yeah, totally, man. I grew up on that stuff. And I turn. You're going to buy these guys some of that? Yeah, man. I grew up on it. I said, yeah, that's probably the problem. I don't know what gave me the guts that day because there's four guys. I'd probably still be bleeding on the street there. But I was so angry about it. I wasn't standing in self-righteousness. But I was so angry about Wow, you, a 20-year-old, you're willing to equip these 15- or 14-year-olds to lead them down a path where they might grip them for the rest of their lives and struggle with porn. You know what I'm saying? So that, you think that was my closest to being righteously angry about the filth in our world and then somebody older willing to re- represent or present somebody younger with some garbage like that. That makes me angry. But we can get in a rut when it comes to anger. So I want to show you a little video and explain it just after we watch it. So this is your brain. Your brain has different sections that do different things. Let's take a look at the two sections that help keep us safe. The first section is the amygdala, which is sort of in the middle here. And the second is the frontal lobe, which is here up front and at the top. Since amygdala and frontal lobe are not the friendliest of terms, We've nicknamed them Amy and Flo in order to give them a little personality. Now, here's what Amy and Flo do for us. Amy is the body's security system. She is always on the lookout for any kind of threat. Whenever she sees danger, she pulls the lever and floods the body with hormones so we feel tense, angry, afraid, or all of these. This is known as the body's fight or flight response. Amy is all about helping us survive Versus Flo here, who helps us thrive. 
Flo is the body's central processing unit. She's the one who can think things through. She can judge whether something will make us happy or not. She can decide to reach for a goal, and she can plan on how to get us there. It's a good thing we have both Amy and Flo, because ever since caveman days, we've faced different kinds of threats. Whether it's better to have Amy or Flo be in charge depends on the kind of danger we face. In this situation, Flo might be thinking, Okay, I can think of three strategies to handle this. Let's process. But thankfully, Amy is quick to respond to danger without Flo, and has already pumped the body full of hormones so he can run. Fast. However, with other kinds of danger, like when faced with tricky relationship issues, Amy actually works against us because she has so few strategies. Let's go back to that flight or fight stuff we mentioned earlier. There's flight. Whether it's avoiding problems or opportunities, running away doesn't help us thrive. And fight. Whether it's your boss or your sweetheart, using fighting words rarely ends well. So you can see that Amy's strategies do a great job of protecting us from physical danger. Those same strategies don't always work well with emotional danger, but because she sees danger as danger, she sounds the alarm regardless of the situation. Even if Flo has the situation under control, Amy will pull the lever so our heartbeat quickens, our breath gets shorter, we start to sweat, and our muscles get tense. None of this helps with emotionally trying situations, like maybe when we're interviewing for that job we've always wanted. Or we finally get that first date. Or just when we have to tackle the bills. For situations like these, and with other emotional dangers, how can we get Amy to take the passenger seat when we really need Flo to drive? You may have already trained to get Amy and Flo to work together in certain physical danger situations. But here, we'll look at some ways to get Amy to just relax when we're facing emotional danger. Kind of cool, huh? That makes a lot of sense. And how many times have we actually trained ourselves to send Amy instead of flow. Instead of think things through, we just, ah, so we've let ourselves fly off the handle. So you've messed up. You might have been having a fancy dinner date with your wife and all of a sudden, boom, your evening ends in just horrible circumstances because something came up. Instead of thinking it through or strategies regarding it, you just sound the alarm. So here I thought that was a great video that kind of showed that so often we rely on the amygdala or that part of our brain where we get angry quick instead of thinking through. So anger, we feel that emotion. I think you probably even felt the shortness of breath. Things tighten up and all that stuff. And all of a sudden it signals to your tongue, say something. Instead of signaling to your ears, shut up and listen. Right? So often Amy has showed up in my life where I should have sent flow. And why I'm telling you this is there's a danger that when we continue to send Amy, 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 you can get in such a rut that it sucks the life right out of you instead of going with flow and giving yourselves the river of life more you're in the rut of death. It's very important that we stop, listen, think through, and be 
quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Colossians tells us uh, to put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God's coming. You used to walk in these ways. used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all these things, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. So whatever the problem we have, we must be quick to get rid of, rid of it in ourselves, look in the mirror and toss the stuff out before it takes a real hold of us. And that brings us to our next step is to get rid of, to get rid of. Consequently, it is essential to put away or remove all fil- moral filth, and that's the word he's using here, or shabbiness, and all the abundance of evil and humbly or in meekness. This means power under control. In meekness, receive the implanted word. So we're not talking that the word of God, the word of truth is just in you, and you've got to realize it somehow. But when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the word of God is implanted within you. And now you've got to kind of fan that into flame. Because let's be honest, you've still got two natures. I still like to do stupid things and I still like to indulge in things I shouldn't. And here I know what's right and what's good, but sometimes I'm back and forth, back and forth. Well, which one of your natures are you throwing the stake? Which one is growing? Which one is becoming more powerful in your life? And I guarantee you, if you constantly throw it to your sinful nature, you will feel like, ah, I have no victory in my life. Well, yeah, that's because you've actually been sending or you've been feeding the natural part of you instead of the spiritual part of you. So get rid of. The word really means that's planted within you, not grafted upon you. The word is to be ingrown or inborn, somebody says, rooted in the fertile soil of your soul. This is the word of God which can save. Somebody said this, but eliminating evil and its causes is never the sole or final goal of Christian instruction. I like this. So he's not saying the goal of Christianity is just to punt out bad stuff. He's not saying that. There's, there's always a positive exhortation to do the will of God as well. So get rid of and do. Isn't that cool? Get rid of and do. The positive Doing begins for James with approving what God has planted within the self. The word of truth, verse 18, that gives birth to the believers is that which has been implanted. This is the effective divine word which itself works salvation, or the last part of verse 25. And within that, he uses the word can, which brings us back to this fantastic word, kind of dynamos or dynamite, TNT. So not only is he calling us to separate ourselves or get rid of or punt out the garbage that you see when you look in the mirror, but now the implanted word of God that's in you, he has given us the Holy Spirit of God to now move forward and make changes and feed our spiritual nature instead of our regular or nature, earthly nature. This is incredible stuff. He's given us the dynamite or the dynamos. Throw off the sins that so easily entangle us so if you're sitting here today going, well, if I was you, Steve, because you don't seem to have any troubles or whatever, we can often sit in judgment of one another and go, wow, all his kids turned out really well. He must have all his stuff together or he must have such an easy life. But it's not true. Many of us, I think big time in churches, are so used to getting dressed up on a Sunday morning 
and trying to look the part that we're really not all that honest with one another. There's been times, you guys, just being real honest here, that I have been struggling with something and I should find a brother or sister that struggles with the same thing, but I got to look high and low for months. And then finally, I find somebody that might struggle with the same thing. Now, that's baloney. We come together, not because we have it together, but because we all realize that we need a Savior. Right? So this should be also a place where we can find help, find some experiences that, you know, relate to our experiences so that we can continue to grow in the power of Christ. But I love this power because in the fifth um, point here, he's calling us to action. He's saying, be quick to act. Verse 22, not, don't just listen to the word and deceive yourself. Do it. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at the face in the mirror and looking at himself goes away and forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently, I love that too, intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Be quick to act. This kind of uh, wording has with it kind of an enthusiastic action. And enthusiastic, I was told so many years ago, that it comes from the Latin slash, which comes from the Greek, entheos. So what it means is inspired or possessed of God. And I love that. It's pointing once again to the word implanted within you or the Holy Spirit that is available to each and every one of us. So entheos or enthusiasm, you're possessed of God or inspired by God to make a change in your life. Don't just... The Word of God says, be doers of the Word and not just hearers. It was interesting because an illustration was given of Thomas Edison. And this guy loved to invent. This guy was still inventing stuff in his 80s. Like, who does that? So in the 20s, um, Edison and Ford, Henry Ford, visited their, their buddy, mutual friend, Luther Burbank. Burbank is old school, kind of like my mom. You know, in the old days, you used to have a, a guest book. So whoever comes over, you sign a guest book. My mom had this really tall cactus, a, a very unforgiving cactus. If you touched it wrongly, you would pay. But you would take a needle or something and you'd carve in your name. So we had this huge cactus full of guests that have written their names. Anyway, that's what this guy had. He had a place, uh, who are you? Where are you from? What are your interests? So Edison was interested in everything and that's what he wrote. He said, Edison, where he's from, what are you interested in? Everything. He was just pumped about everything. He was a guy full of enthusiasm. He was a doer. He was pumped about life, full of enthusiasm, and he got things done. Emerson, too, said, nothing great was ever accomplished without enthusiasm. Every great movement in the annals of history, said Emerson, is the triumph of enthusiasm. Hegel, a, a German philosopher, also said, we affirm absolutely that nothing great in the world has ever been accomplished without passion. The Apostle Paul says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Corinthians tells us in, in chapter 10, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Does that sound good? So here he's not just calling us to leave some things behind and do something. He's going, come on, let's do it. Let's fill up some helium balloons and get on a, on a chair. Let's ride. Don't forget your BB gun, right? 
But this is exciting stuff, and that's really what he's calling us to. Is he, not only is he saying, leave some stuff behind, but then he gives us the power to reach for that which is ahead. And then he says, now go do it. Do with some zeal to the glory of God. With enthusiasm, let's, let's do this. And imagine if we approach life that way. Instead of just being enamored with our own, like, what do we look like? What happens if the church would finally take really seriously our marriages or our relationships with our kids? Or we want to know God and know him deeply. And we take our hobbies and we do them with full-on gusto. And people say, what is your problem? Man, I love life. Why do you love life? And then you can start sharing your story of why you're pumped about life. Doesn't that sound good? That's why you're here. For some reason, God has made you his mouthpiece, his advertisement. Whether you're a teenager, whether you're an old folks home, doesn't matter. You're there for a reason, and God wants to use you in this way. Be doers of the word. I'll end with a story that you all know very well. King David, quite, I, I like that guy, but boy did he mess up one time. When he was lazy, should have been off to war should have been in the front lines. He was a, a guy of strategy. You know, he just had it all together. And he's written some fantastic songs. But one time he's lazy and he's out on his balcony. He's looking around and he sees a lovely lady taking a bath. So he says to himself, she will be mine. Yes, she will be mine. So she has pretty much no power over the situation and comes over and you know what happens. And she ends up becoming pregnant, and now he's going, oh my goodness. Instead of now going, I have sinned, I've got to look in the mirror and go, whoa, this was bad. No, he covers it up by sending a note to the front lines. First of all, trying all sorts of stuff to get Uriah back, but finally signs his death sentence and Uriah is killed. So it sounds like he was out of fellowship. This guy that's written some fabulous stuff, he was out of fellowship, out of writing experiences, Something's just not right for probably 9 to 12 months. And then Nathan comes along. And I'm glad I didn't have Nathan's job. What a lame job. He was sent to the king to admonish him. I don't know about you, but if he says the wrong thing or that he takes it the wrong way, his head would be over there and his body over here. He's got one of these jobs that none of us would be jealous about. So he goes, and I imagine him as a good storyteller. He gets the ear of the king. And for some reason, the king says, okay, yeah, come on. Tell me a story, Nathan. Nathan comes in, and he says, well, here's the story. What happens is, there's this guy that has everything. I mean, when you look at his land, and look at the piece of land, the piece of geography that he owns, and his fences, white picket fences is amazing. And the cattle, the pasture land, all the lambs that he has, it's incredible anybody that would visit him would know this guy has got it it's unbelievable but across the way you see this guy with a makeshift house and made out of i don't know what the tight family the family seems pretty neat but they'd have got nothing i don't know what they've done wrong in life and they they have one ewe lamb so he doesn't have a huge pasture he doesn't have a bunch of cattle nothing like that but he's got a little lamb Somebody comes to visit the rich guy and he's welcome, welcome. And he shows him around the whole farm and all that stuff. And he says, obviously, I got to feed you. So he looks and he goes, well, why would I disturb my land and my farm? 
my abundance. And he hears this little elam off in the corner, the neighbors across the fence. So he sends one of his servants to grab that thing, and he slaughters that little ulam that was probably a family friend of the poor family. Well, you can just see David sitting like, this is a good story. Like he's listening. But now righteous anger is welling up within him. This is not right. Send me this man. He's angry. And all Nathan, some of the most powerful words in scripture, you are this man. And it stops him in his tracks. You are this man. You are this. And all of a sudden, the last nine to 12 months comes flashing before him. All of a sudden, it's like Nathan just puts up a one big fat mirror and he's looking at himself going, oh my goodness. You guys, did King David wake up one morning? Oh, today's a good day. I think I'm going to commit adultery and maybe kill someone. You think he did that? No. It was small steps of not paying attention what this revealed. It was small steps of not paying attention what the mirror revealed. So here, though, I want you also to know that it's not too late because when Nathan went like this and Nathan stepped out in obedience, what if Nathan would have done the Jonah thing? He hit the road, right? Nathan walks in, puts his life on the line and holds up the mirror to David in obedience and David takes a good look. He looks intently. Not a shallow look, nor a look of walking away. But he takes a good look and he goes, what have I done? And his words are interesting. He doesn't talk about Bathsheba, doesn't talk about the baby, doesn't talk about Nathan, doesn't talk about Uriah. He says, oh God, against you, you only have I sinned. And two of the most powerful Psalms, Psalm 32 and 51, are penned by a guy that's broken, that took a good, long look in the mirror. There's lots in there for us, isn't there? It's never too late. Take a good look at the mirror. Take a good look at spring cleaning. And what are some of the weeds that got to go? What is it that God is calling you to? And as you spend time with each other, be it here, be it in your friendships, in your marriage, whatever, and you start looking at all the mirrors that God provides for us, what do you do with that information? And that's what brings us to our last point there. He has given us the Holy Spirit. He has given us the power to make changes. He doesn't just point out the things that, oh, I don't like that, Ken. I don't like that, Helga. I don't like that, Lauren. He gives us the power to continue to shed the bad stuff and move toward what he has for us. Let's do some spring cleaning. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Starting with me, Lord, I, I ask that you would help us to be honest with each other, be honest with ourselves, and obviously be honest with you. Help us to submit ourselves to the word of God. And maybe, maybe even today, you do want to speak to somebody, and that might be putting a finger on something that's got to go. But sometimes when we look in Scripture, we actually get affirmation because we've been thinking poor stuff about ourselves or poor stuff that we can never change or something that's happened to us. And maybe even this morning, 
You're just saying, just take a look in the mirror because I want you to know how much I love you. Or take a look in the mirror. You're going this way, but do you know how much more I have for you? Lord, help us to be honest. Help us to be quick to listen. Help us to use those two ears. Help us to be slow to speak and slow to anger. Help us to be quick to get rid of and quick to obey you. Thank you. I'm dancing in a room.